Strange Rangers. This is Bree. <laughs> this is Fatina. And you are listening to Stranger Danger. We're a true crime podcast, and we'd like to welcome you back. Welcome back. Um, Brie and I, we've always talked about this and we've talked about it on here a couple of times. Accents, they're not our forte. (laughs) Nope, not at all. We know this about ourselves and (laughs) we laugh about it because it's not our forte. Uh, and they're, um, yeah, I would say borderline offensive to whoever I'm they, trying to right. imitate because they're so bad. Right. And so this entire time that I was researching this case, I couldn't help. I I seem to be like a parrot sometimes Well, where if I'm listening to something for so long or if I'm talking with someone, I tend to unconsciously start trying to speak like them. It's, it's, a, yeah. And I do this a lot with Spanish because depending on where people are from and their different uh, accents and their different uh, cadences when they're speaking Spanish, mm-hmm. I'll, I tend to start Im- not imitating, but mimicking what they're doing. And it's not right. till I'm done with a conversation that I realized, oh, that was like, oh my gosh, I hope. <laughs> They didn't think I was trying to make fun of them, but I sure to do that. So um, all that said, this was a very interesting week for me. And I annoyed the hell out of my wife by pretending <laughs> to do this accent this whole week. <laughs> this case is from Australia. And oh, my gosh. Right. <laughs> It's the hardest accent. It really is. Uh, so I don't even know sometimes where they just stick some R's in there. But I uh, so love, love Australia. I love yes. listening to the Australian accent. It's um, and I got so much of it this week listening and researching for this case. So, um, a little bit about me, I feel like we're almost 200 episodes in, but a little bit about me, if this hasn't come up before, and I'm sure it has, I love The Simpsons, right? So it's one of my go-to shows when I am doing dishes, doing chores, it's a background show, it's one of those where I can see what's happening without watching it, I know what's happening, you know what I'm talking about? Totally, yeah. So I recently restarted. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go from the beginning just because it's interesting just to see how things have changed from when the cartoon started to now. I'm on season six right now. And a couple episodes into season six, it's one of the most iconic episodes, I think, if you're a Simpsons uh, watcher, where Bart calls Australia collect because he wants to know which way their water flushes in the toilet if it goes (laughs) the opposite of ours or not yeah and 
So he gets this kid. Um, he just randomly picks up and calls some, uh, you know, asks the operator to call someone in Australia. And he asks the kid to go check with their neighbor as well to double check the way that the water is flowing. But the next, the, the funny part is that the neighbor doesn't live to like miles down the road. So he takes a long time. And okay. then the dad picks up the phone that's just on the table with the kid not there. And Bart's on the phone. And Bart says, don't let the dingo eat your baby. Oh, that's where that comes from? Well, no. Oh, so okay. okay. I remember that as a kid. And it's that sentence or that phrase has come up sometime, a couple times in pop culture and pop media. Mm-hmm. Don't let the dingo eat your baby or did the dingo eat your baby? And right. it um, it's almost used as a phrase where you're calling someone a liar. And this seems like an extraordinary lie. Don't like, you okay. know, did the dingo eat your baby? Right. So uh, I was researching. Like the dog a- ate my homework. But exactly. Australian version. That's a great, great example. Because I was I was explaining to Kara, we were talking about it. And I said, you know, what fascinates me about this case and cases like this, that there are it's either a phrase or something from it that made its way into pop culture and people don't even realize the origin of of it anymore just as fascinating as it is to me for the Jonestown massacre that don't drink the Kool-Aid or you're drinking the Kool-Aid you know something like that that people might not know what the actual origin of it is is just fascinating to me so the dingo ate my baby (laughs) Is from an actual case. Um, oh, I know. So that's what we're going. That's what I'm going to tell you about today. Cool. So that's why we're in Australia. This is back in 1980, so it's prior to us being born. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. I was talking about it last night at dinner, and Kim knew exactly what I was talking about. But that's because it was before our time. And Mm -hmm. it was a big, big case. So in 1980, uh, Michael and Lindy Chamberlain had been married for a couple of years. They had two boys, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And they had, she was dead set on having a third kid because she wanted a girl. So they had a third kid and um, they named her Azaria Chamberlain. And the family uh, was, she was a stay-at-home mom, and Michael, the dad, was a pastor for Seventh-day Adventists. And okay, they, he traveled a lot because of work. It just, that's mm-hmm. was part of his job. So he was away from home a lot. Uh, but when he did have the opportunity to come home, they did things like this. And this, they took this time that he had being home to go camping. Okay. Sorry. And so they, when he was home, um, this time in August of 1980, they decided to pack the car uh, and go camping for the weekend. They decided to go to Northern Australia to a, what I can only describe to us here in the U.S. is more like a national park. They went to a national park or the Uluru region. And there is a 
natural structure that's made of sandstone called the air stone or something like that. It's like a big mm-hmm. uh, protruding mesa that's in the middle of this national area. Gotcha. And people, I mean, this is the 80s. Um, so there is some organization to the camping, camping, but it's more of free camping, find a spot to place your tent and call it good, you know? So right. on August um, 17th, they got there that day. It was the first day that they were going to be out there camping. They set up their tent. And the way that this campground is set up is that wherever you you know leave your car and you leave your tent, there's a communal barbecue it's they call it barbecue they called it barbecue on what I was uh but it looked more of a just a fire pit area that was communal for all sure. the families that were there right so um they settled in to their campground uh the seven-year-old was outside of the tent um you know you can't put a seven-year-old to sleep as easily but the four-year-old kind of called it a night and they put the baby little Azaria in a little bassinet at the foot rest of the four-year-old brother in the tent. I don't know if they had more than one tent to sleep in. I could not find that information from all Mm. accounts. It sounds like it was going to be just one tent shared by all five of them, which two kids and a baby and two adults. Um, In that region, um, so as they were at the communal fire pit and were hanging out, they were saying hello to other adults that were in the area. They did not go with anyone, but okay. so they went by themselves and it just seems like everyone, because of this communal fire pit, just that's where everyone went to go make new friends and hang out for the night. Sure. In the middle of all that happening, uh, they did hear a baby cry. There is witness accounts that they did hear a baby cry out. And then Lindy, the mom, went over to the tent. And that is when she realized her baby was gone. Oh, my goodness. And she saw something out of the corner of her eye, believing it was a dingo. She uttered out those infamous words, the dingo, the dingoes ain't my baby or taking my baby. Sure. And, and everything that I, and I researched, they call these torches, but I think um, here in the U S we would call them like a flashlight, but she was asking people for torches so that they would go, she could go out and look for them. So a little bit about dingoes, because just to make sure we're all on the same page, dingoes are canines they're cavernous dogs, so they're wild, mm-hmm. feral dogs, um, and they tend to live in packs like you would coyotes or, or wolves or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And they are they are definitely meat eaters, <laughs> unfortunately. Yes. Um, so she at this point is claiming that a dingo came in and quite literally ripped the baby out of the tent. Um, and took it, took the baby. Um, of course, everyone starts looking, um, all flashlights on deck. Everyone's looking for this dingo or a baby that maybe the dingo dropped, you know, on its way out or something like that, but nothing could be found. Was Um, there damage to the tent or anything? No, 
um, the tent door or the zipper was open. So it wouldn't have been actually ripped open. Gotcha. Um, It wasn't until the next day, they did call the police or the authorities the night of, but it wasn't until the next day that in the daylight, they could see that there were a couple spots of blood inside of the tent. Um, Mm. But it was really minimal spotting of blood. Um, within a couple of days, the parents, I believe, went out into the nearest town and they stayed in a hotel for a couple of days because they wanted to stay in the area to see if there's, you know, anything else that they could do to help with search efforts. Um, and then I think they very quickly, because of the religious, uh, either religious beliefs, or I just think maybe whatever, however they were raised, came to accept what may have happened to Mm -hmm. Azaria and Mm -hmm. the mom recounts that um, because of the time that it passed and what she remembers happening which is out of the corner of her eye seeing the actually the dingo running away with something in their mouth um, that she didn't want to find whatever would be left of her daughter because it would be in bad state understandable um Azaria was only nine months old at this time so not uh not a big baby um no it's you know small turkey unfortunately that's what I used to compare baby weights because it's that's what you have usually you know to, to compare it to um the campground was full of witnesses um one person Murray Hobby he is one of the people that uh, had a actual trailer to stay in that night of this incident. Mm. And the police, although he did contact them to tell them this information, that that night of the incident, about 30 minutes before, he had actually snapped pictures of a dingo that was trying to make its way into his trailer. Oh, so the dingo was at the open door and you can see in these pictures, he's, you know, blinded by the flash of the camera. But the dingo is right at the door of his trailer. When he contacted the police, he now 40 years later um, says that he was told it didn't really it wasn't going to fit their narrative. Um, So they did not take him take his information in um nor mm-hmm. did they show these um pictures at all so nothing could be found um this of course made its way into the media really quickly we've got a baby who is missing and the mom yeah. is claiming that a dingo took it it's pretty i mean i'm going to say wild because it is a wild story I don't mean wild in the way that, oh, it's made up wild, but I mean wild, like, holy crap, that's a wild story. So it made its way, it was easy for the media to feed on this story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like a totally like fear driven story. No family is going to want to go camping with their small children if there's ravenous (sighs) dingoes snatching babies. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So the inquiry, or what we would say here, the investigation continued on to the, uh, into the family because the police, 
the detectives were had their blinders on and wanted to prove that the parents actually did something to hurt Azaria. Mm. So they confiscated their vehicle, the tent, um, to do further uh, tests on. And right. in the vehicle, it's, uh, I believe it's called a Tehran. I don't know exactly the make, but they, so they did a second increase. So case went kind of cold because they couldn't find a baby. Sure. They couldn't find any evidence that was really damning or anything. So they took the car from the family and it wasn't until 1982. So two years after this started happening or this incident happened that they did swabbing of stains that were inside of the vehicle. Of, Two years later? Yep. And it wow. was 22 different spots that they tested stains for in the vehicle. They focused a lot on the passenger side of the car. And mm-hmm. on all 22 areas that they tested, it tested positive for blood materials. Wow. So two years had passed from when baby Azaria was taken or disappeared. And at mm-hmm. this point, um, life not simply moved on, but kept going for the Chamberlains. And Lindy at this point was again pregnant. She was seven months pregnant when they did these blood tests on the vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. And that is when she was charged with murder for Azaria's disappearance. Oh my goodness. And Michael, her husband, was charged for assisting with the murder. No. Yeah. So they um they continued on to a trial and they uh they did oh they eventually did find a baby jumpsuit prior to the trial prior to all of this this is part of why they brought charges onto them they did find a, a jumpsuit that was covered in blood mostly in the upper mm-hmm. or the neck area of the onesie and in these expert opinions and i will say in air quotes expert opinion um it was sent over to james cameron who I believe was a British uh, investigator, Um, Mm -hmm. he said that his opinion was that the cuts on the jumpsuit were made by scissors and not by any animal. Mm. Now, I could give anything a quick Google and figure something out about this analyst and determine you know, what his credentials are, where he went to school. I could probably tell you his address. But... Back in 1982, this was this information was not readily available. Um, so come to find out years later that James Cameron, the person who said no, this jumpsuit was cut by scissors and not an animal or any uh, like a rock or anything, had been involved in multiple cases for wrongly convicted men because of his analysis. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Um. And it was his opinion, and it was just an opinion. It wasn't any scientific uh, process or test that was done. 
Sure. It was his opinion that the baby had to have been decapitated in the passenger seat because of the amount of blood specks and the amount of blood on the onesie. That's it. His opinion. Right. The idea of that is absolutely horrifying, but he does not seem reliable from what you're saying. No. Um, So what the prosecution in this case uh, was alleging was that the night that for whatever reason, um, the night of this incident, the parents murdered the baby buried the body and just left some of the clothes to be found to make it seem like an animal had taken her away from the tent. Mm, okay. So the theory is that the, at the communal barbecue area, she was with one of the boys. Um, she goes to the tent. She puts one of the kids inside the tent, the four-year-old. She then goes to the car, sits in the passenger seat and kills baby Azaria. She then goes back to the tent, cleans herself up, plants spots of blood inside the tent, goes back to the communal barbecue, and it all happened within 10 minutes. There are witnesses that say that there was never any blood on her. Her She never changed her clothes. Right. And that in that timeline that the prosecution is putting forward, it could be proven wrong by them just hearing the baby cry normally. Mm-hmm. So all of that uh, was what they were alleging happened. The media also attacked the family for being religious. So with them being Seventh-day Adventist, um, some of the allegations that were brought forward was that the church was actually a cult and they killed babies as part of their bizarre religious ceremonies. Oh my goodness. They did receive an anonymous tip from a man claiming to be Azaria's doctor back in their hometown of Mount Isam and that they named the baby Azaria because it meant sacrifice in the wilderness. (laughs) What? Yeah. What it actually means is helped by God. Oh, yeah. Two very different things. I believe I read somewhere that they had to actually bring in an expert, like a linguist expert into the trial, like the defense to prove that uh-huh. it did not mean like sacrifice, like her name was oh, meant sacrifice in any way. Right. Uh, so, and, and one of the quotes in here is, in addition to being subject to a figurative witch hunt, some claim that Lindy was actually a witch and that Azaria was literally a witch because one time Lindy dressed little baby Azaria in a black dress and it provoked negative opinion. So people were digging up everything and anything that they could on Lindy and yeah. baby Azaria. Oh my gosh. So after much deliberation, the jury went out to go make their decision on whether or not they thought the parents were going to be guilty of this. Mm -hmm. And they came back with a unanimous verdict of guilty and they passed down a sentence of life in prison for Lindy. And because she was 
I believe because she was pregnant and whatnot, they, I think this is what helped Michael's sentencing. He was also uh, convicted guilty, but they gave him an 18 month commuted sentence. And I think that's because he had to stay home and take care of the three children. Sure. So they had like nothing on him. Oh my gosh. Nothing. Nothing. So in the years since, there's some people that couldn't shake the fact that they were, they thought they were wrongfully accusing this family of uh, killing their baby, of killing a little mm-hmm. nine-month-old baby. So the, a man of, by the name of Kevin Hitchcock, um, while all this was happening, controversially put out a documentary saying they were innocent. And everyone okay. thought he was crazy. Everyone thought that he was office rocker for putting together a documentary that proved their innocence, even though the courts had found them guilty. People did the, I mean, this whole thing in hindsight uh, was full of like pseudoscience and people with, I mean, there was a guy who, to prove that the a dingo would not have the strength to carry a baby that size did his own experiment and it's not really an experiment but he did his own experiment quote unquote where he filled a bucket with sand and held it with his mouth by the wire handle and because he couldn't couldn't hold it for longer than a minute because of the weight said that that proved it was impossible for a dingo to carry a baby further than a minute down the road. That, that was <laughs> yeah. Um what? How <laughs> okay, um, you're not a dingo, sir. Um, but sure. <laughs> you're not a dingo. Maybe he is a dingo, but he's not a dingo. <laughs> Dingus. <laughs> so a lot of people wanted to uh were interested in this case um, and wanted to either help or see what they could do as much as they could to either prove that they were guilty or prove that they were innocent. Um, And there was an actual pathologist who took an interest on the case and thought it was bizarre that there was 22 spots in the car, but no blood pool per se in the car or anything. So he went over to, his name is Barry Boter, and he went back to Mount Irsa, which is where the family originally left. And he, right. as he was checking, he tells the story that as he was checking into the motel for that night, because he was just going to look at their surroundings, he noticed there was a dust in the air. And Mount Irsa is a mining town. And mm. he took out his testing kit and he realized that the dust in the air, because of the mining, was releasing copper and zinc particles into the air, into the dust, and it was permeating anything and everything in that town. When he took out a blood test and he swabbed his like door handle on his hotel Uh room, it tested positive for blood. And he said he did that with everything. The roof of his rental car. He did that with the door. He did that with everything. So in his opinion, obviously the particles would have gotten inside the car of the family. Totally. And when they tested 
any stain inside the car that would have been from whatever, from mud, from food. Sure. The stain had no relevance to whether or not there was blood actually there. A stain would have been any stain. Um, Mm -hmm. But because of the particles in the air, it showed a false positive as blood. Crazy. On every stain that they tested. Wow. There was also an expert on mammal hair. He quite literally wrote the book on the differences of mammal hair. And he offered to help in the case and they never brought him on. Um, It wasn't until... 1986 that he was actually given access to what they had previously labeled as cat hair but come to find out for sure it was dingo hair they found a couple hairs that were inside the tent and they Mm -hmm. had called this cat hair because i think the detectives just didn't want to admit that the dingo actually taking the baby was a possibility sure right right so mind you lindy's in jail (laughs) yeah for life has, a baby. has had a baby she's in jail michael's at home with three kids single parent life because mother's in jail right. um they did offer lindy to do a written statement that she was guilty and she would get out of jail but she's like i'm not doing that because i didn't kill my mm-hmm. baby right and it wasn't till this very just happened chance situation in 1986 there was a british tourist named david brett who went to uluru and was told that the Ayers rock is a forbidden indigenous rock that should not be climbed okay and two indigenous people saw him climbing in a forbidden or illegal area. So they called for authorities, um, but Mm -hmm. they couldn't find him when the authorities went to go look for him. And it wasn't until the next day that a tourist that was hiking the base of it found his body. And he had apparently taken a 200 meter fall. Oh my gosh. When When his body was found, his backpack was pillaged. Uh, what seemed like by wild animals and mm-hmm. his body was torn to pieces what seemed sure. like by wild animals um where his body was found was actually surrounded by dingo caverns and nests okay yeah while his body and you know now this his case was being investigated uh there was actually a baby jacket that was found very shallowly in the sand next to this guy's body. And this was a baby jacket that Lindy claimed this entire time is what baby Azaria had on. Mm -hmm. And it being a couple meters away from the cavern of the Dinko's actual den, the chief minister of the Northern Territory immediately ordered for Lindy Chamberlain to be released, and the case was reopened on September 15th, 1988. Wow. They eventually unanimously overturned all convictions against Lindy and Michael Chamberlain. 
They were exonerated completely and they were awarded $1.3 million in compensation for wrongful imprisonment. Um, and they also received some assistance to help cover their legal expenses. Holy so shit. I know, right? So, um, and it has now come out that uh, prior to this incident happening with Baby Azaria, the, for, I don't know the exact term, but the park rangers for the Uluru um, area had already requested a couple of days before for permission to shoot the dingoes because the population of dingoes had gotten too big for the campers mm-hmm. and too dangerous for the campers. Because mm-hmm. I think like almost any wild animal, when they have humans coming into it, there's going to be, they're going to change how comfortable they are, come, how close they're coming to humans, right? hundred percent, So yeah. they had recently asked for permission to start actually shooting dingoes when they came onto mm-hmm. the campsites and whatnot. They hadn't received that permission yet, but they knew it was a danger because they've, they'd been becoming more and more aggressive. Right. Um, since this whole case happened, um, there have been many more reports of dingoes attacking humans. Um, and there's also been another case of a kid, a toddler, being dragged a couple of feet from their campsite oh. by a dingo until a parent right. intervened. But they still had the strength to carry a toddler a couple feet. And totally. the hunger for it, too. You know what I mean? Right. So um, this uh, case has served as an example, at least for Australia and for a lot, I mean, a lot of cases in general, how the media can completely take something and villainize it and just run with it one direction and kind of just never look back. So, you know, the words the dingo ate my baby are, are infamous now. Right. And almost, they almost become a joke. Then and they have become a joke. Total joke. Yeah. It's a total joke, but gosh, now I feel bad for ever having said it in a joking manner. Cause this is sad. Yeah. Super sad. Um, they eventually did have, uh, so that fourth baby that she had was a girl as well. Um, and, you know, there's interviews with her saying, you know, her last name, their last name in, in town is something that mm-hmm. carries this story attached to it. So there's no really sure. escaping the story even years later um, about what really happened, but it's just a a tale of what the media can do and what injustice it can help carry without unknowingly, you know, with knowingly not doing all of the research. So yeah, very interesting case. Um, It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The the media does do that. And I mean, that's, uh, that's even up to today. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like anytime you see a story in my opinion, especially on mainstream news, like it's worth it to do a deeper dive because there's always two sides to every story. And a lot of the time what's being plastered in the headlines is snippets of truth. Yeah. If at that, you know, so, 
Oh my gosh. Well, I, I'm Isn't so wild? glad it is. It is wild. It is yeah. literally wild. Um, yes. and <laughs> I'm just so glad that, um, eventually, you know, things played out in the way where they were able to be exonerated because mm-hmm. I mean, that was like really poor detective work and conviction. So and bad. The, the lack of evidence brought to the table to, like you said, uh, start this witch hunt. Well, on... the thing is, you know, like the like the blood stains and whatnot, I can see how yeah. that alone would be very convincing to a jury. Oh, you well, have time in the early 80s. Oh, yeah. You have an expert. So someone of authority. Mm-hmm telling you i found 22 different spots of blood in this vehicle right right um so who are you who are not an expert in that field to say that's not true um exactly and there was one expert who i'll see if i can find it really quickly um so barry botcher the pathologist who didn't think that the blood tests were right in the vehicle he actually Mm -hmm. did um take the stand but he believes that in hindsight uh because of his expertise the way that he spoke about the evidence and how i just explained it to you that you know they lived in a mining town and it Mm -hmm. produced a false negative he says that in hindsight he thinks he was too technical about it and so all the information that he that would have disproved the blood tests were positive went right over the jury's head. Sure. Because he was using, you know, $10 words about his expert field. Totally. Yeah. Which yeah, is very unfortunate. Such, like, it is. And I mean, especially for such new technology, I mean, the jury is, you know, naive. Oh, to- yeah knowing what's legit what's not and then you have some someone coming in using all these big words and you know talking way too in depth about something that literally nobody has any if you don't know about it about you know how are you going to contradict someone right and or know what to ask you don't you don't so right. you rely on being told that that person is an expert so totally. um the national museum of australia has taken into its collection more than 250 items that are related to this case of the disappearance of azaria chamberlain uh lindy oh, chamberlain wow. the mom has helped document some of the information on this case and some of those items mm-hmm. The items include courtroom sketches that were done by artists um, and their camping equipment. So their tent is still in mm-hmm. this museum. The family car, um, the outfits worn by mom and uh, by mom the day of, uh, just because they're, you know, what she was wearing in the media and what she was um, captured with. Um, sure the number from her prison door which i thought was interesting it's just symbolic of that wrong imprisonment you know um and also the black dress for baby azaria that came into question 
Oh yeah. So those are just some of the items, but it's become this huge, huge case where to the point where it's, the items are on display because it's set the bar to like, Hey, if we're going to put something out into the media, let's do our research. Let's not jump to conclusions. Let's let everyone have, you know, their side of the story. Like you were saying, like, let's know all the information before we go by, you know, jury by media. So media by totally. Yeah. Jury by media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Interesting case, huh? That is really interesting. Um, this is like kind of on, well, it's on the same topic of dingoes and like how, I guess not how dangerous they are, but it's just kind of ironic that you're talking about this case. Cause I watched this really wild video on social media the other day and, um, another native animal to Australia, it featured kangaroos. Oh, yeah. And this guy was rescuing his dog because <gasps> a kangaroo had grabbed it. And I guess when, um, as like a way to protect themselves in the wild, kangaroos will go out into water as a way to lure the dingoes out towards them and they'll grab them and drown them. Yep. And this guy went out and like literally fought this kangaroo or you know punched it so that it released his dog so that he could save his dog and I was like that is crazy and kangaroos are large powerful holy moly yeah I mean they literally have like eight packs when you look at their stomachs literally and it, it it was I just didn't even know that the two animals um you know, were such enemies and nemesis like that. And so kangaroo is so powerful that I, and it's, it almost seems like sociopathic the way that they've evolved into using the water in their favor like that. They're like, come in here, come play. Or Mm -hmm. it's so come get me wild. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Let's go to so, Australia though. So weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's go to Australia. I, I was honestly like, though, let's go. How how long is the flight for us? That would be a really long flight. It it might be close, close to two days. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That would be it's got it's gotta be something like that. I mean, I don't even know from the West Coast. Can you can you travel across the Pacific to get down into Australia or do you have to go like the long ways? I mean, the shortest flight around. is 18 hours I that I see come up. Holy moly, but they got like 64 hours. How are you traveling for 64 hours? That's too much. No. That's a lot. You'd have to put me on a private jet to get me to fly yeah, 60 something hours. That's days no, of traveling. Days. So we oh won't go gosh. to Australia, but we'll keep covering Australian stories. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, that was a great, a great case. I mean, thanks for breaking down the origin of the dingo ate my baby. That's yeah. um 
that's wild. Isn't that crazy? So yeah. crazy. So crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, and that uh, reminds me, I don't know why that reminded me, but I wanted to say thank you to our newest Patreon. Um, so we have a new Patreon and it's M Nelson. So thank you for joining our Patreon thank club. Um, all right. Well, as we're, I mean, this is one of the later in the year episodes. Um, mm-hmm. we did want to bring up to everyone that with the end of the year, we do this for fun, right? So, um, we do have family trips coming up and, um, I think our, our family, uh, landscaping has changed a little bit and I say our, because we're family. <laughs> so, um, exactly. everything, everything has changed a little bit, um, and we're just a little bit busier than usual. So we might be spacing out episodes that we're not going anywhere. Um, we're just going to be um, spacing things out a little bit just to allow us to live life and enjoy the holidays. And, you know, a lot of the first the season um, with mm-hmm. the newest members of our family and whatnot. So yeah. um, we're not going anywhere. Um, we'll still be around, but uh just know that it might be a little more spaced out as we near the holiday season and we appreciate those of you that are stick around and and show us your support most definitely yeah we really do appreciate you guys and and, uh it'll be a fun holiday season this year i'm really Mm -hmm. excited for everything that we're gonna we're gonna do yeah Yeah. lots of food i think that's a lot of what happens during the holidays no doubt absolutely i know i'm like building the thanksgiving menu now yeah exactly yep for all that (laughs) <laughs> all right, all right guys well thank you so much yep we'll uh catch you on the next episode and as always don't be a stranger okay bye bye